Welcome, everyone, to another Inside Lyme podcast with your host, Dr. Daniel Cameron. In this episode, Dr. Cameron will be discussing a case involving a man in his 70s who began having involuntary movements in his left arm and was told he had a functional disorder. The patient was eventually diagnosed with Lyme disease. Good evening, Dr. Cameron. Thanks for joining us. And thanks, Darlene, for leading the discussion. Now, can you, you start off and, and tell us a little bit about um, the, the background of this case? The, the man actually was in the Czech Republic, is that correct, when he began having or noticed a, a rash? Yeah, Lee and colleagues were kind enough to describe this case in the British Medical Journal, Case Reports. And one could look at this rash by looking uh, at this open access journal article. But it was large, it was round, it was the erythematous rash, which is what we typically call an erythema migraine rash. It was over the left arm. Now, since this was the Czech Republic, he happened to also have a tick on his thigh that he removed along with the rash. And in this case, they treated with three days of amoxicillin. We're so used to reading articles about cases in the United States in uh, the Czech, you have different species, not just the American species. In America, we have Borrelia burgdorferi, but in Europe, they have Borrelia guarani and Borrelia abyssale. And there's a lot of overlap between uh, the types of Lyme one might get in Europe and one might get in America. Sometimes people think, well, there's more neurologic things in the European strains. I can tell you from my practice, there's plenty of people who have neurologic problems from Lyme disease in the American side of the pond. So they haven't clearly differentiated any different types of symptoms in patients in Europe with, uh, with Lyme versus the U.S. Yeah, there's plenty of articles where each author says, we have neurologic problems, they don't have neurologic problems over there. Then you have a rheumatology practice says, well, we don't have neurologic problems, we only have rheumatologic problems. So they're, they're doing a lot of work trying to see what's different. But if I step back, uh, I really see when you look at the articles is that there's a scattering of rheumatology, neurology problems in the American side of the pond and the same issues in the European side. Some of it has to do with that some of the European centers are so sophisticated and so technical, sometimes they really have great papers on neurologic problems that they see in their cases, and they're kind enough to share those findings. In America, we have some rheumatologists who detail at great length the rheumatology findings. I just think I learned from reading articles on both sides of the pond. So the man saw a rash and was given amoxicillin for three days, and the rash, amoxicillin for three days, and the rash resolved within that time period. But then he was seen by a a clinician in Canada three weeks later for radicular pain down his left arm. Can you tell us a little bit how how his illness progressed from there? When you treat a rash, an erythema migraine rash, is that the rash often goes away by itself. So when you treat with amoxicillin for three days, we generally think that's not going to be effective for a Lyme rash. They must have been treating for a general rash or 
a some kind of staff or strep, but uh, it resolved in three days. One needs to assume it's Lyme disease and treat, I treat at least three to four weeks to allow me to do a follow-up visit and reassess. Now, back to the original question is that he was no longer in the Czech Republic. He had traveled, so he ended up three weeks later in Canada, and he had pain down his left arm. The reason they're saying ridiculous pain is that the pain seems to follow the nerve as opposed to just arthritis of an elbow, of a knee, or tendonitis of one of those areas. This was ridiculous pain. So they already had identified that it seemed to be more of a nerve problem. Now the authors, the authors write that within one week of, of experiencing this pain down his left arm, the, the involuntary movements progressed to his other arms and as well, to his legs as well as his trunk. They use the word uh, jerks uh, as a type of uh, involuntary movement. A lot of times in Lyme, you might get a choreographic type where there's certain broader strokes and broader movements. I have seen people with uh, jerks uh, related to Lyme disease. It progressed. You know, it was initially the left arm, so the doctor would logically think there's something wrong with the with the nerve running down the arm or maybe the cervical spine, perhaps in the brain. But just when you're looking at one area where these uh, movements are coming from, within a week, the jerks started going to the other arm. Then they showed up in both legs. And then they also were involved the trunk, which is your body. And the doctors called it proprio-spinal myoclonus. Now, that's not a term that we're used to seeing in America or discussing in America. But proprio-spinal myoclonus is a, a particular name to this uncommon movement disorder. It's just that we don't always use the same term in America. Now, the, the authors write that this disorder, also referred to as PSM, has sometimes been dismissed as psychogenic or psychosomatic. In, is, is that your understanding? Well, proprio-spinal myoclonus, which they're calling PSM, is a term they're more commonly describing in Europe. We're often finding movement disorders, jerks, choreographic movements uh, in America, and you often see doctors call it psychogenic, which is another name for functional, uh, which is also a a psychiatric type problem. So instead of looking for a cause of the jerks, working up the movement issues, uh, some doctors will regularly assume it's psychogenic. The average observer looks at it and it looks pretty serious to have those uncontrolled movements. It's one of those things where um, I'm always concerned that is there a cause rather than just a psychiatric problem. And, and, uh, and obviously the clinicians didn't make a connection, it appears, it, between the, the rash and then the development of these symptoms. Yeah, you'd think in hindsight, which is always clear, that if you have a rash, have a tick bite, and get sick within three weeks, in hindsight, you'd think, well, that must be Lyme disease. Instead of looking at a physical cause, he ended up going to multiple emergency rooms and they treated with pregrabalin, 
but they didn't seem to be treating more than the symptoms. They didn't do a, um, an investigation for an underlying cause. They didn't give antibiotics. Uh, they just concluded that he should have pregabapentin for pain. Now, it wasn't until his third visit, right, to the emergency room that he was, he was tested for Lyme disease and diagnosed? Yes. Often, uh, patients will come back on more than one occasion. I always find that if someone is coming back more than once, it's good to look a little deeper. And that's actually what the doctors finally did on that third emergency room visit. They included testing for Lyme, and they were finding a positive test for Lyme by Lyme titer, and actually IgM titer, which indicates early disease, and Lyme IgM Western blot, which indicates early disease. And since this is within weeks of the tick and weeks of the rash, is that's a, a clear criteria for Lyme disease. They also tested him for the European strains, and he was positive for the European strain called Brillia abzali. Now, in Europe, they have the American strain and these European strains, so we always ha have uh, questions about uh, which strain causes which symptoms, and I think we're going to have to uh, continue to ask those kind of questions. Is there something about this case that uh, is unique to having Brillia abzali? But to be clear, he also tested positive then for the Borrelia burgdorferia. Yeah, the EIA and IgM were the types of, Europe just happens to have more than one genome species. Now, this, this patient also had an MRI that showed some abnormality. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that and the significance? Well, they, there was a feeling that there was something that could be wrong physically. So they looked at where the roots of the nerves uh, were and was there anything wrong in those nerve roots. And they actually saw patchy abnormal problems in the cervical spine and also at the base of the spine. So instead of what I usually see, which is uh, a lot of uh, movement issues without anything wrong with the MRI, this one actually they could find an explanation for why the arms were affected with ridiculous problems, but why the legs were involved. So he had an MRI evaluation, which actually showed an explanation for why the arms were involved and why the legs were involved. There seemed to be nerve root enhancement by the MRI. And so there was actually physical evidence for his abnormality that he was showing on his exam. They also went one step further, which is they, is they did a spinal tap, and they found an elevated protein count and lymphocytic pleocytosis. Pleocytosis means cells in the spinal fluid. Now, there's plenty of neurologic Lyme cases where they don't actually have an abnormal spinal tap, but this one did. So it was a nice case to write up to remind doctors that yes, you could have a positive Lyme test, you could have a, a European strain, abnormal spinal tap, abnormal MRI, and it's time to treat this patient, despite uh, having initially been considered to have a functional problem. 
So, so this patient was treated for seven weeks, right, with a combination of oral and intravenous antibiotics? Yeah, I find that I have to follow up patients if I treat them four weeks because there are people who fail treatment even if they're treated early. In this case, because there were neurologic involvement in the spinal column, that the spinal tap also showed abnormalities that it appeared appropriate to include intravenous antibiotics. It was uh, fortunate that uh, the author said he was successfully treated. Uh, he had a good outcome, especially when you think of the treatment delays, you think of how uh, sick he was, the spinal involvement. Uh, it was nice that he had a good outcome. Now, what, what are your thoughts on this, this treatment? Well, I find that since this is relatively early in the course of treatment is more likely to be successful. Certainly, I've seen failures with four weeks. I've seen failures with seven weeks. I do follow up with patients, try to decide what's the right treatment. I also am worried about other infections in a tick because intravenous antibiotics, especially intravenous ceftriaxone, doesn't work for a lot of the co-infection. And it certainly doesn't work for Babesia. So sometimes I find that if I use oral antibiotics, like doxycycline, I can kill some of the other co-infections, or I use a tovaquone if I suspect that Babesia might be a problem. So all of those uh, reasons uh, are why uh, follow-up is important. Now, this case report also just briefly mentions another patient, uh, a woman in her 60s who had a similar um, similar symptoms, right, with the involuntary movements. And it was later found that she had Lyme disease. Yeah, anytime you write a nice case report and share it with everyone, you often find that there's other authors who've already seen it. This uh, six-year-old woman actually had the same findings, an abnormal spinal tap, uh, EM rash, uh, a tick bite, you wonder how often this occurs. Uh, I can say that I've seen the same movement issues or same radicular type pain in my practice who don't have an abnormal spinal tap and they don't have an MRI. I have patients in my practice with similar presentations without something wrong with the spinal tap, without something wrong uh, with their uh, MRI, and they can get better with an antibiotic. I think this case reminds us that uh, not to assume that somebody has a psychiatric problem, that you should look again for a physical cause for the underlying problem. Thank you, Dr. Cameron. We look forward to more Inside Line podcasts. Thank you for leading the discussion, Darlene. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Inside Line podcasts.